TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. I'm going to uh, push button on the NFL. We'll go all around like a couple of different uh, things I want to get into with our next guest, but the first of which is the quarterback of the New York Giants, who uh, debuted last week and had one of the best first starts ever in National Football League history, at least statistically. Uh, he works on Sirius XM's NFL channel. You find him on the Mad Dog channel every once in a while as well, and also does pre- and post-game uh, on the radio for WFAN here in New York. Lance Meadows joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. How are you, Lance? I'm doing very well, Jody. How's things with you? Good. The perspective you have here is a very interesting one because you were on after the game talking to Giant fans. I was on the fan today talking to Giant fans. Some are ready to already build the bust and get it ready for Canton. But you also did national work all week long where you get probably a little bit more of an objective look at what Daniel Jones did. Any way you slice it, it was impressive. What was the national take on Jones' debut? Well, I agree with you, Jody. It was certainly impressive. But I think like anything else, it's important to put things in perspective. And I think from a national scene, I think a lot of people were excited with what they saw and a lot of people that were against the draft pick to begin with when the Giants took him sixth overall. It started to maybe slowly come around to the fact that what the Giants saw was pretty much on target, that they knew that he had all the intangibles to play the quarterback position on the NFL level. It was just a matter he wasn't surrounded with a wealth of talented Duke. And when those guys are not making plays, the statistics and everything else doesn't necessarily come across attractive. So I think on the national scene, like I said, some people are starting to come around. But I don't think nationally, and even I would say a good portion of Giants fans are ready to necessarily crown him immediately. I think they see potential in him, but they want him to be able to build off of what he showcased on the road in Tampa Bay and be able to do that consistently game in and game out. Because we've seen young quarterbacks before, Jody. I mean, there's tons of them that have flashed here or there. And sometimes when a team doesn't have an opportunity to see a lot of film on you, you catch them off guard. Now the Redskins are going to have much more substance to work with than Todd Bowles and that Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense did. So I think it's going to be very interesting to see can he build off of how impressive he was with his decision-making as well as his mobility against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Small sample size, but to your point, still very encouraging. And for a guy like yourself, the pre and post game, you did it for the preseason stuff. I watched and or listened to all the Giants preseason action as well. As good as he was, nobody expected. But the fact that he could go in and run an NFL offense with uh, just a couple of weeks under his belt preseason and the first couple of regular season shouldn't have come as a surprise because he played very well in preseason. He really opened my eyes in preseason. I was one who questioned the pick. I didn't know if he should be the second overall quarterback taken in the draft this past year. The Giants believed in him from the day they sent the card up until the day they handed him the ball last week. And I give Pat Shermer credit because, uh, again, listening to all his press conferences, 
he never closed the door on Daniel Manning, uh, Daniel Jones playing for Eli Manning rather early in his career. He always left the door just ajar enough that when he made the change, he could say, well, I kind of told you he was ready. Uh, and damn if he didn't uh, back his coach's belief in him this past Sunday. Yeah, I think certainly Pat Shermer is all smiles, Jody. There's no doubt about that. And I think he did leave the door open because of the fact that you know no one really knew what to expect from the Giants in the early stages of the season. There were certainly a lot of question marks hovering around this team with respect to the defensive side of the ball. And Eli Manning knew the minute the Giants used the sixth overall pick on a quarterback, I mean, even he's not naive. He understood the writing's on the wall. And it was only a matter of time till Pat Shermer potentially would pull the trigger, especially if the team struggled overall, not just on offense, or they were mathematically out of it. I think it came a lot earlier than most people anticipated, myself included. I thought they would wait till really somebody in the NFC East started running away with the division, even though the Cowboys do look strong at this point compared to the rest of the teams. But based on what they saw in the preseason, and as you mentioned, his decision-making, I think what also was impressive was his ability, Jody, to bounce back in adverse situations. Remember, he coughed up the football a few times in the preseason. It wasn't necessarily clean. You go back to that Bears game, and then what happens in the Tampa Bay game He has the strip sack, the fumble, but he kept bouncing back. And I think the more and more they saw that, the more and more they realized, you know what, we can throw him into the fire, even if it's a baptism by fire situation. There's no reason to think that he can't handle that. So I think that helped build the confidence for them to pull the trigger this early in the season. We're one game into the Daniel Jones era here in New York. And the door is all but shut again, not completely shut, slightly ajar. For Eli Manning, and he knows that Daniel Jones will be their starter this week and probably the week after and the week after, and I don't know that Eli Manning will ever start a game for the Giants again. How is he going to handle it? He has begged off any interviews. He hasn't really talked this week. He hasn't come out and uh, critiqued the Giants or given anybody a hard time or even when the announcement was made that Jones was starting, he handled it like a pro. Is he going to be able to do that for the rest of this year? Well, I think it's a great question. I don't see why not, Jody. You know, Eli Manning has certainly presented himself in the most professional manner you can ask for out of somebody that's been thrown into this situation, especially since a lot of people like to compare this to 2004 when Eli Manning supplanted Kurt Warner. But what I think a lot of people need to understand is Kurt Warner was not as well embedded into the Giants franchise. He was a guy they brought in as a bridge to get ready for Eli Manning, whereas Eli Manning is a guy that's invested a lot of time and energy in this franchise for 15 years. But so far, he's handled himself where he is more than comfortable in being the mentor. I think the visual images from the game against the Bucks and how he handled himself on the sideline certainly back that up. Do I think Eli Manning still wants to play football, Jody? Absolutely. Do I think that he thinks he could still be competitive in the National Football League? Absolutely. But I think the major question is, can Eli Manning envision himself in another uniform? And then on top of that, he has a no-trade clause. Now, if Eli Manning went to the Giants and he said, listen, Daniel Jones is in good hands. They have Alex Taney also in the quarterback room. There's a team that wants me. I think I have a chance to go to a team to maybe help them make a playoff push. Would the Giants accommodate him? I don't see why they wouldn't. So I could certainly see that coming to fruition. But I don't think deep down inside Eli Manning right now has any plans to leave the organization or has interest to suit up in another uniform until his contract runs out and maybe he entertains the idea of continuing his career. I think it would have to be a team that is in 
great position to go to the playoffs, compete for a Super Bowl, similar to what Peyton Manning, his brother, did in Denver. And I also think it needs to be a team that doesn't necessarily have a young guy or some type of an answer at quarterback. And who knows how the offseason is going to shape up. But I think as it stands right now, to answer your question, I don't see why he wouldn't be more than comfortable just staying in the background, mentoring Daniel Jones, and seeing how this season plays out. Lance Meadow from Sirius XM's NFL channel and pre- and post-game show host on WFAN in New York. Uh, Lance Meadow here with us on the fan. All right, let's go around the league a little bit. Melvin Gordon... I don't want to say caved, but at least compromised his position to get in with the Chargers this year. I didn't think it was going to be a full-year holdout. Then again, I didn't think Le'Veon Bell was going to be a full-year holdout last year, and it turned out to be. Uh, So uh, be that as it may, he decided to uh, accept what the Chargers had on the table. They're in Miami this week, so they should be able to win with or without uh, Melvin Gordon. How much of a difference does he make for the Chargers for the rest of the year? Well, their running numbers haven't been that impressive in the early stages of the season. And and let's not be naive, Jody. Uh, When you look at Austin Eckler and you look at Jackson, their other running back, those guys are different style runners, and they're not nearly as powerful as what Melvin Gordon brings to the table. So I do think it gives them a big plus out of the backfield to help Phillip Rivers. If you go back to that game against the Houston Texans on Sunday, they had a hard time finding somebody other than Keenan Allen to be a consistent weapon. And they're down Hunter Henry, they're starting tight end. So I think this is going to give a boost to the Chargers and hopefully provide a little bit more balance on the offensive side of the ball. But I just don't understand what Melvin Gordon was hoping to accomplish in this holdout because, as you just alluded to, you know, he certainly wasn't going to threaten to sit out the entire season like Le'Veon Bell because he didn't want to lose out on an accrued season which would have then deprived him the opportunity to be a free agent after this year. So I guess maybe he saves his legs for a few games here or there, but I just don't understand how this swings the leverage in his regard to get a new contract or a lucrative deal from the Chargers. Now he knows, hey, they're in a situation where they're still very much competitive, they're still in contention for a playoff spot, and he's going to have to deliver or else he's going to hurt his chances on the open market because the one thing about the Chargers, when they've had success over the course of time with Phillip Rivers, it's been because of a good offensive line and the establishment of a running game. When they don't have those ingredients in place, and we've seen years where Rivers has been sacked a lot, we've seen years where they have no running game, then it becomes a one-dimensional team that has no much of a threat than any other team in the AFC. So I think Melvin Gordon adds a new dynamic to this offense, but they need to find somebody in that receiving core other than Keenan Allen to deliver consistently. And Mike Williams hasn't been 100% healthy. He would be option number one. If not, they're going to have to find a way to get Melvin Gordon going as a receiver as well as in the ground attack. All right, I want to give you an opinion on uh, a specific matchup coming down tomorrow. I'll ask you to either agree or disagree, and then to answer the question, I'll attach. Raiders-Colts, one of the most overhyped coaches against one of the more underrated coaches in the National Football League, and I think you can figure which I'm talking about on each end. (laughs) Uh, Does the coaching matchup here decide Raiders-Colts tomorrow? Well, Frank Reich has done a sensational job with the Indianapolis Colts. So 
using your clues there, Jody. I'm going to go with uh, he's certainly a guy that's underrated. Uh, the other guy on the Oakland sideline may have a little too much hype surrounding him. I think, yes, the coaching does ultimately decide that Colts-Raiders game because if you look at what Frank Reich has done, how many people counted out the Colts once Andrew Luck retired? And you know, I'm not going to stand here and pat myself on the back, but I felt people were too premature because of Jacoby Brissett's knowledge of the offense and the fact that he was with Frank Reich last year when Frank Reich took over as head coach. And I think you're starting to see the benefits of him being in the quarterback room and having a good grasp of the offensive scheme. They also have a great offensive line because they invested two draft picks last year very high in the draft to help bolster the trenches to have a running game with Marlon Mack and to give Jacoby Brissett or Andrew Luck last season an opportunity to throw the ball. So the Colts, they're not a sexy team. They don't have a lot of household names. I know T.Y. Hilton's banged up. They find ways to win games, and I think it's, yes, a true reflection of the coaching from Frank Reich. And the other person that I think deserves a lot of credit here, Jody, to take it a step further is Matt Eberflus, the Colts' defensive coordinator. What he got out of that unit last year, what he got out of Darius Leonard, who could go down as the steal of the 2018 draft, as well as Derwin James, who went later in the first round to the Chargers, that was a huge X factor. They're playing above the X's and O's, not to be cliche, because he gets the most out of these unknown commodities and that's why i think that's going to be the difference maker for the colts tomorrow over the raiders if the raiders want to walk away with this victory they got to do two things they got to get a way to find darren waller in the end zone their tight end who's fallen under the radar and they need to get josh jacobs involved in the passing game he is a solid runner out of alabama but they have barely fed him the football as a receiving threat that's what he did in alabama why aren't they using him that way that to me is a mystery if that doesn't change that's more of a reason why i like the colts tomorrow all right Hypothetical question uh, for the final one. Um, on a scale of 0 to 10, 0 being there's nothing to see here, keep moving right along, 10 ba- being dogs and cats sleeping together, panic level, Browns lose the Ravens tomorrow and fall to 1 and 3. What's the panic level in Cleveland? I'd put it at a 7. I was never a fan of the Cleveland Browns to begin with, Jody. I think that they were surrounded by too much hype, and this is the bait that people go for every single offseason. We live in a world where we're so enamored by names that if you put a fantasy team together in reality, everybody thinks that it's all of a sudden going to click. And Cleveland's the latest instance in which people fell for that bait. If you remember the Eagles and the Dream Team with Vince Young, and they crowned themselves because they had big names, and then it didn't translate to anything on the football field. Cleveland right now has multiple issues. Number one, Baker Mayfield hasn't been nearly as efficient and I think as effective in terms of his decision-making as he was as a rookie. Why? There's more film on him. And I don't think his comfort level with the new receivers and some of the other new weapons that they added is at the same level that where it was last season. I'm also not a big fan of Freddie Kitchens, a first-time head coach. I think he's overwhelmed by a lot of big personalities on that team. And then the other factor to be concerned about is even though the defense hasn't been terrible, the guy last year running that defense was Greg Williams, who's now running the defense with the Jets. And you can have the same great personnel, but if you change the scheme and you change the coordinator, that doesn't mean that the execution level, once again, is going to be the same. So Steve Wilkes is brought in. He was the Cardinals head coach last season. And sometimes coordinators have the philosophy of, I am going to take the talent and I'm going to try to fit them into my scheme as opposed to pick up where the group left off last year. Now, Wilkes was a great defensive coordinator in Carolina when he was there before Arizona, 
but I think sometimes people get too caught up in the scheme. So, yeah, I think if they lose another game, and they very well could fall to Baltimore, which is far more dynamic of a team than some of the teams Cleveland has already lost to, I think there is a lot of concern, and I think that with that is going to come criticism, and somebody like Freddie Kitchen should be extremely worried because John Dorsey gave him the job because he thought he'd be the right guy to tap into the potential of all the big names, and he certainly hasn't answered the call in the first few games of the season here. All right. Are you on uh, Sirius XM's NFL channel on Monday? I will be twice. I'll be there Monday morning, and then I'll be there for the postgame late. A okay. Uh, Monday morning, mark, the, mark my words, uh, either a caller will say or you will already write a story about Lincoln Riley needs to be the next head coach of the Browns. If they lose on Sunday, someone, somewhere, somehow, they will call for a scalp, and the drum will start to beat for Lincoln Riley to be reunited with Baker Mayfield in uh, Cleveland. Mark my words well, on that I, one. Buddy. I don't think it's far-fetched, Jody. The only thing I'd be concerned about is look at what happened with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. While the hype, again, is great for a college coach, doesn't mean that that's going to translate well to the NFL. But I agree with you. From the court of public opinion narrative, would not be surprised at all if that's still in the headlines come Monday. Appreciate much you coming on, Lance. Thanks. Enjoy uh, your Sunday. We'll talk to you down the road. Sounds good, Jody. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on. That is Lance Meadow, uh, Sirius XM NFL channel, and also... WFAN Giants pre- and post-game show host. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.